Welcome to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast, hosted by Andy Baldacci. Each week, Andy interviews a successful agency owner who shares their proven strategies to help you build and grow your agency. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Agency Advantage Podcast. This is episode number 21. Today's guest is somebody I've wanted to talk to for a while, Matt Newton. Matt hosted the Web Agency Podcast and put out 100 interviews with successful agency owners, and he actually served as the inspiration for me to get started with this podcast. Matt runs his own agency, Tourism Tiger, and recently launched a new side project, JobRack.eu. Today we talked about what it's like building an agency while hosting podcasts about agencies, how he knows getting so much advice, what worked best for his agency, what didn't work, and his plans going forward. We even covered how he uses LinkedIn to get 150 email opt-ins a week for his agency's blog. There's a ton of actual stuff here today, so without further ado, here's Matt. Hey Matt, thanks for joining me. All right, thanks for having me, Andy. Yeah, so with your brother Ben, you guys launched the Web Agency Podcast, and that, honestly, that really helped motivate me to create my own podcast for Hubstaff, so first, thank you for that. So you're basically like, man, if these guys can have a podcast and they're just so good at it, I can, I can just be like, man, this is easy. Yeah, you know? if these guys can do it, then I definitely can. That was exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. <laughs> but no, so you, you've since launching, you've put out a hundred episodes, which is really impressive. How did the podcast sort of come about to begin with? Yeah, it was interesting. So um, it came came through a lot of conversations with my brother. So. Um, I've been working on online marketing for a long time and also um, I had a bit of a stint in my life where I was working in sales and my brother would tell me about the challenges he was having in his business and stuff like that. And I was like, man, my brother needs he needs help. You know, So we'd have these conversations every week and I was like, wow, this, this could actually make an interesting podcast where – you know, uh, you know where, where he learns and also I learn as well and we kind of explore the world of, you know, how to sell more consulting gigs and we had some amazing guests on and stuff like that. So, so yeah, and I, I guess at the same time as well, I, I'd been working on a lot of projects where it was kind of like all about me. It was like I had websites, you know, I made money from advertising and stuff like that. But I, I wanted to, but they weren't solving anyone's problems, you know, they were just solving my problem of adding money to my bank account and I just wanted to, yeah, I just wanted to do something better for the world. And um, get, get this, I um, in Berlin, I was living in Berlin at the time, and I was kind of looking for something, one way to add to people. And just, for, for, I made one of those free hug signs. And um, I went down to this train station in Berlin and did free hugs. And um, it was cool. I did free hugs for a whole afternoon and came back really jazzed. And um, I just realized that, like, you know, if you can't be happy, sort of trying to make, make your own self happy, right? You might as well try to at least help other people become happy. And then I kind of like twigged. I was like, that is how I'm going to be unhappy. And <laughs> it came full so, circle, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, so then the Web Agency podcast came about. At what point did you kind of go for Because you said you had some uh, websites of your own at the time. And at what point did you really start ramping up your own agency? Yeah, it's funny. So I had the, the, the agency for a couple of months and – I mean, sorry, the, the podcast for a couple of months and all I was doing was just enjoying that, interviewing people and learning people, learning things. And I guess just having those conversations just every week on the podcast, it just kind of gave me this ideas and the thoughts and you know, I was just thinking about it all week long and I just realized it was a real opportunity for the kind of business that I could create, which is like I had the idea before I picked the niche, by the way. And um, the idea was basically to create like a system, like a template system of websites. And everyone sort of sits on the same system and they're actively updated from like a central core, if that makes sense. So not custom web design, kind of more like systematic web design. 
And the idea being that as we learn things such as this button should be over here or this button should have this wording, we will just um, update over that, that over time. And so the customers would all have this benefit of paying this monthly fee. And because the customers are on the same, all on the same website system, they don't have to pay a thousand, two thousand dollars a month just to keep their you know, websites on this system. We can make it much more affordable and systematic and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, man, that'd be such a cool thing to be a customer of. And, and I was like, all right, so I'm going to do this and I'm, I'm just going to go find the richest small business niche in America and see what that is. And, and I did some Googling and I found that accountants are the, are the most profitable type of small business. And I was like, I was like all right, interesting. Like most people don't expect that, you know? No, right. And it kind of makes sense. <laughs> accountants, that's just their job. So you'd, you'd hope your accountant is profitable. True. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, – so I was like, okay, I'm going to make websites for accountants. You know, I'm going to do autoresponders. I'm going to do all that stuff. And then I, I spent a, uh, spent a bit of time looking into it and like reading the blogs for accountants. And I was just bored out of my brain. You know, I was so bored. It's just like they're talking about boring stuff. And I was like, if I can't even be motivated to write three blog posts for these guys, there's no way I'm going to be able to keep up a business for one or two years. Yeah, exactly. You know? So I was like, all right, what's next on the list? And I think next on the list was dentists, right? And then I was like, okay, boring also. Then I was like, lawyers and then veterinarians. And I was just like, yeah, okay. And then I was like, well, I'm just going to step back in a second. Why don't I just pick a niche I'm already familiar with and that I know that I love and that I'm interested in? And I'd been, I spent a lot of time working in tourism and hospitality um, in previous jobs and previous consulting gigs. And I was like, I find tourism interesting and I also understand a lot. I understand a lot of these guys' problems. I know exactly how to talk to them. And so, yeah, so I picked um, tourism and, yeah, that's how Tourism Tiger was born. Interesting, yeah, because that's the thing is like a lot of people will start in the same way you started. They'll be like, all right, where can I make like the most money? Like where is the money out there that, that people will be able to spend on me? And they'll look that way, but it's like, especially I, I don't think your aspirations are to build some agency that's doing seven, eight figures plus every single year in just this huge behemoth that's kind of going after anybody and everybody. And it's like, it's more than a lifestyle business, but it doesn't necessarily need to have that huge potential for scale. So it, it makes sense to kind of go after something that doesn't make you want to kill yourself when you think about it. Yeah. Well, basically for me, um, I always, the kind of business that attracts me is something systemizable and by, and by that scalable, right? So it's funny. So, um, because like, I don't want to do custom, custom, custom giggles because it means like the entire business is tied in, tied to my expertise. I wanted to have something where I could systemize it and then hire people to train them and then sit above it. And that's more or less what I've got now. Like I've, I very, I don't participate pretty much at all in customer projects, just on the occasional dilemmas that pop up. And then every now and then I notice the team's made a mistake and so I just insert that into the process and then the, the mistake doesn't happen again. And, so it's very um, productized. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's usually product. It's a productized service, yeah, for sure. And the thing is that, like, you know, the tour operator space is pretty small, but we're going to be moving to the hotel space soon, and that is huge. And um, like, there, there, there's another business that has done a productized thing in the hotel space, and they sold for eighty million dollars, which is crazy. Um, I don't think we're going to sell for that much, but. Um, but you know, there's I think there's you know opportunities for productized that. In, in a big way, but but you're right. Like my motivation not, isn't necessarily to have seven or eight figures, even though you know I think seven figures is definitely right, a possibility. My motivation is absolutely to have something that doesn't like that I that I can systemize and, I, and that I can enjoy. 
you know, and 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 at the very end of the very end of the day, to solve these people's problems, you know, the probably the biggest highlight of my day, if if it happens, is if I talk to a client and find out, or a customer, I should call them, and um, find out how the website's doing, and to hear the stories that come back come out of people, and like how the website's killing killing it, kicking ass for them, and they got these new, they're getting these new kinds of types of customers that they never had before. I mean, that that and it, that at the end of the day is the reason I started it. Um, to really solve the problem. To go back a little bit, it's like you didn't originally set out to thinking that like, all right, these tourism companies are going to make me filthy rich. But in doing it and in learning the niche, you found places you can pivot where there is more room to scale. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I do like tour operators and all that kind of stuff, but um, there, there are multiple problems with that kind of niche, right? So, Obviously, like my initial thinking in terms of pure business sense was correct in the sense that obviously the better kind of business to work with is one that's profitable. And that's part of the reason why we need to go to hotels at some point is because tour operators tend to not be very profitable. Uh, they tend to be very small. And part of the re- and they kind of self-select into this game because they're small thinking. Part of the reason a lot of people choose to become tour operators is it's one of the only businesses you can start with $1,000. You know, like a walking tour business or something like that. And um, because of that, they kind of don't have this investment mindset compared to, say, a hotel where you've gone off and spent, you know, $1.5 million just on a fit out. Um, of course, you're going to pay a little bit of money to make sure that people are actually sleeping in that thing. So, yeah. Yeah, no, because I mean, I was talking with uh, Jason Swank a, a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying about how people avoid like picking a niche because they're worried that there's no money there. And then after that, I, I like had it piqued some interest in me, so I wanted to do some research. And I was looking through, and like there are multiple people who had a similar mindset to you, and who they went after like dentists. There are multiple dental marketing agencies that do ten million plus a year, and same with like car dealers and, and all of that. Yeah, so, car dealers, contractors, lawyers, yeah, all of those. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there's a, so many niches that already have three or four people duking it out. You're right. Yeah, and that, and but like, and that they're still killing it too. But so I, I like how you almost you went in, got your experience with something you knew a ton, and then you learned more. And now that you you've gained some of that experience, you're able to. It's not like a, a complete pivot. You're able to go somewhere else where you still have some expertise in the general area, but you'll learn as you go. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, in my previous life, when I was doing um, tourism and hospitality marketing, um, I was doing probably more for hotels than any other niche. So, um, so I understand hotels really well. Did you ever feel like any kind of pressure on on your agency because of the podcast? Like that people would have these expectations of how well you had to be doing, or or like if if you weren't following everything that your guests were saying, or this and that. Uh, um, it's funny. Like, so, um, I didn't feel any external pressure. I felt like an internal pressure because of it. Because you know, there's certain things that guests came onto the show and said that that I did follow and other ones that I didn't follow and and all that kind of stuff. And it's funny, I'm actually going back now and re-listening to episodes based on stuff that comes up in the business where I'm like, okay, I remember I talked about that in episode 56 or whatever it was, you know? And I go back and find the episode and we I go re-listen, it, re-listen to it because sometimes you just got to be... Um, you know, sometimes the, the the recipient of the messages isn't necessarily ready for the message. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, because how did you balance that? Because it's like... I know sometimes I'll get way ahead of myself and I'll read like in the course of a month, I'll read like 
a couple books every week and I'll have all these different ideas for where to go with my business or this and that. And it's like you were talking to people basically every week while still trying to like build your agency and you can't implement like even close to half of 10% of those things that people are talking about. Cause in the real world, like as you start to like implement something, it takes time. So how did you balance like wanting to do all these things with figuring out what you actually had the time to do? It's funny. So, um, Basically, you know, we're up to eight people now and I have multiple problems in the business in the sense of, you know, like just multiple pain points, right? Like things I need to solve, things that could be better, things that could grow better and stuff like that, right? And um, I think what happens is I've just sort of become like needs-focused learning, if that makes sense. So uh, I bump into a certain thing and I'm like, okay, this is now priority now. I just go dig back through the learnings. And also, or maybe I find a, pot- a potential, like a book, like for example, in, in February, I lost, I had a really painful month in the sense that like it should have been a record month, but I lost three or four sales that were big ones. So, you know, because what happens sometimes is people sign up and actually buy four websites for us, through us or three because they have three different businesses. And I lost a couple of sales that I really felt we were perfect for. I really liked them. I normally win these ones and it really hurt. Like in a big way, like it just knocked me out for like eight days. I was just really depressed. and Well, not depressed, but I was listless. And, um, you know, so then I was like, all right, I need to get better at winning sales and sales presentations. I need to actually, rather than just wing it, I need to have a structure and all that kind of stuff. So I went off and listened to you know, Brent Weaver again, for example. Listened, went off and listened to Brent, Brendan Dunnan again. And then also found a book. Uh, asked some friends for some advice and I found a book which by the way I've just finished and it's one of the it's amazing it's called Pitch Anything and um, that book was it's, it's crazy it's just like sometimes just books hit you exactly where you are and um, and if you're in that position where you know you make regular sales presentations you want to get better and this book is just freaking amazing have you heard of it? Yeah no I've read it it's like Pitch Anything is, is it's I think it's especially good for small but growing freelancers and smaller agencies who haven't who don't because a lot of it's about sort of the mindset it's all about saying that because it applies to this especially where it's like the typical freelancer mindset is doing all these pitches and trying to get people to want you get people to like to prove yourself to them but a lot of like the pitch anything mindset is more like no like you're you're qualifying them as well you have something of value that you need that you're offering them so it's not like yeah, a, exactly. A, it's shifting the balance of power a bit. Yeah, that's right. So, like, as a freelancer, many times, and and I'm not a freelancer, obviously, but like in my business, you know, so I, you know, I have this mentality of like, I hope they choose us and all that kind of stuff. But like, this was part of the reason that February really burned was because like I it was kind of insulting. For, it felt like belittling for me to be sitting there as these guys who are clearly not qualified to make this choice, right? I'm I, I like, you know, trying to evaluate me and it it really did feel so belittling and I was just like, I need to figure out a way to change this situation so people actually realize that they're talking with an expert and that they see this opportunity for what it is. I just couldn't believe that people weren't recognizing the opportunity for what it is. And I realized that the only common factor between all these conversations was me, right? And I'm doing something wrong. And so... um so that's why I went off and found this book and that's why obviously yeah, you, you, you can tell now is this perfect timing and the book talks about how to flip the scenario to make it look like you know they have to impress you like 
because you, you are the only person who offers what you offer, right? But there's like a billion people, there's millions of other people on the planet have money in their bank accounts. It's not like that's a special thing, right? It doesn't make anyone unique, the fact that you have like $10,000 in your bank account. But like the fact that you offer what you offer does make you especially unique. So they've got to offer something that you can get anywhere in exchange for something that, that, that's what they've got. They just got something that's going to get you, you know, two percent bank interest, versus what you've got, which is going to generate like hundreds, hundreds of thousands of dollars for them. So it's actually an unfair deal, right? In this, in the balance of the maths, you know, you're going to be able to make like twenty cents a month in the bank account interest, right? Or like five dollars a month from what they give you, but you you're going to give them something that for, for them makes them fifty thousand dollars a month. So if you're going to take them on, they got to they got to sell you on it. A lot of it goes back to positioning as well, because. You ha- if you just say I'm a freelance web designer, like you're not that special at that point, and so you need to be able to have kind of that strong positioning, that strong statement of of this is why I am special. And for you, it's like you help tourism companies make better websites that convert more customers for them. Like that's special. But if you just said like I'll make you a pretty website, then no, you're just like the thousand of other people who could do the same thing. Yeah, exactly. You're just like you're just another guy. And, um, and yeah, so, you know, Brennan Dunn stuff and I think, um, you know, Brent Weaver stuff a lot from you gurus, those two guys definitely touch upon this as well and, um, come at, they come at it from their own angle. And, um, but I think one thing that happens as well though is like, um, it's a mental theory that I'm working on, which is like the arrogance of the learner, right? So learners often have this real mentality and we all do it. Pretty much everyone does it where we like, we pick and choose what we're going to take, right? Like it's very, very rare for someone to just humbly pick someone's model and just adopt it down to the ground, just methodically adopt it down to the ground. So, so I just realized that it's rather than me reading Brennan and reading Brent and read and reading, um, Oren and try to like come up with the synthesis of it and try to like pick and choose. I'm like, no, I'm just going to pick one guy's framework and adopt it down to the ground and then move on to the next guys and see what I can do with that. Right. So I've decided, you know, with Oren Claff's thing, that's what I'm going to do. So I've just basically, I, I took like 10 pages of notes in a, like in a word document. Um, about this book, um, which is you know, far and away the most notes I've ever taken, and like I spent the before I talked to you, I spent most of the morning, literally just step by step, just going through every single thing this guy's you know, written, and I'm going to be spending the next probably ten days doing this, just um, taking two hours here, four hours there, just just taking every single thing and just squeezing as much juice out of that orange as possible, right? No, that's awesome because it, yeah. I, mean, I like that, that theory you talked about because it's like, as soon as you said that, I thought it was like, wow, like I do that for everything. And, and it's like people read from experts because they know they're not the expert yet, but then they'll still think they know better than them and say, oh, well, I like when he said this and when this other guy said that. So I'll just take those two pieces and forget everything else. It's like, no, a lot of times like, they clearly put a lot of thought into what they said and you can't always just take bits and pieces and expect it to work the same. Yeah, exactly. So like these guys go off and spend thousands and thousands and thousands of hours developing this knowledge. And for me, like, and I think part of the reason I, I realized this is because, you know, I would get really frustrated that, you know, I get people emailing me from my email list and they're like, oh yeah, but I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about that. Or, you know, it'd be on um, like a webinar the other day, for example, and some guy was like trying to debate some point in the chat box and, and, um, and it's just like, dude, like, why would you challenge that? And I was like, well, hang on a second. I also 
you know, I also do this. Like I read a book and I'm like, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about that. Because we kind of just take like a surface level stuff, it means that we miss the core of what people say. So this is like a theory. I'm not, I haven't proven anything by the way, but, um, but you know, like I'm in Chile right now, for example, and it's one things I do for Startup Chile, which is a local startup thing, um, is I give the welcome speech for every new generation, like new group of entrepreneurs they bring. And I notice that a lot of people just pick and choose what they take. And I just want to like grab these people, pound their heads against the table, like take everything, take everything. This is built from a lot of experience, you know? So, uh, so yeah, so it's kind of, I'm kind of interested to see, like if I just adopt one person's framework, adopt it down to the ground and then move on to the next one, if that's going to help me or not. I suspect it will. Yeah, no, and I do too, because that's the thing is like, it's not to say that you can't learn by combining different aspects of it. But like you shouldn't start from that point where you're just grabbing different random things. You should start by fully learning one. And then from your own experience and expertise at that point, you can say like, okay, it might work better if we tweak it this way. But if you don't even know how it works to begin with, you can't, you don't have that kind of ability. You don't have that knowledge to say what would work better or what wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah, so like pick, it's kind of like picking a guru and just sitting at the feet of the, the foot of the, the feet of that guru, right? Mm-hmm. So like for example, Brennan Dunn, I've mentioned his name multiple times because he's freaking excellent. You see yeah. his stuff? Yeah, yeah, he was on the show a bit ago. I, I've taken yeah. some of his courses, like read everything he's done. I, yeah, oh, he's a freak, right? He's yeah. he's amazing, you know. Um, and then you got Brent Weaver who has this thing where like he he does like he would do five meetings with people. Um, it wouldn't be like a one one step or two step meeting where. Um, you would figure out your problems and give you a price. It would literally be like a, a series of five or six meetings or something like that. And like me, I'm just like, man, I can't imagine doing that. But you know, the, and of, in this case, that particular thing is not appropriate to me because like I don't like we work at a different level in terms of our business, in terms of what we charge. So um, it doesn't even make sense for us to do that. But if I was trying to do like go after these ten thousand dollar plus clients, I would be totally down with what this guy's saying so it's kind of like all right you just pick your guru go through every single one of the stuff implement it like crazy kind of it's kind of like instead of reading five business books in a month reading one right and then and then like going through it slowly taking notes and yeah i don't know i think it's a it's a yeah well you can tell like i think it's a cool concept and i think (laughs) i think you do too so yeah no so i guess to back up a bit like is that sort of your role in tourism tiger now like are you doing the selling is that like what you would other than like trying to grow the business is that like your day-to-day is closing clients or yeah that's right so um so people book a call with me and we're gonna have to i'm working on that process very soon as well but basically um yeah we have a marketing manager we have we have a project manager we have a designer and all that kind of stuff so i my i have a few core roles one of them is like to do the ceo thing you know where do we do what i do one-on-one with my team members and meetings and stuff like that another thing is i manage the product so basically, you know, I've done a lot of research and stuff like that, and and I know which way I want to take the product, and um, and that's going to be for the next while. And so basically, I make the decisions as to what features get developed for our website builder system and stuff like that. And um, when people want a new feature, it has to go through me before it goes to the programmer, right? I'm like I'm a I'm a bottleneck, but it's a deliberate bottleneck because I'm contr- I'm controlling and defining the vision of what's going to happen. And then the other thing is, yes, yeah, sales and follow up and stuff like that. For those sales, like where do the leads come from? Is it just purely organic? Do you have like an outreach process or how do you kind of do the marketing side to drum up the leads? Yeah, so at the moment, we've been, we've done a lot of inbound marketing, so a lot of blogging and um, LinkedIn and stuff like that. Uh, we've done pretty well out of LinkedIn, by the way, compared to a lot of people. 
We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, but when we come back, Matt's going to share the slightly black hat strategy that he uses to generate 150 email signups a week. Just hang tight for 30 seconds and we'll be right back. The Agency Advantage podcast is brought to you by Hubstaff. Now, Hubstaff makes time tracking software for remote teams so that you can stop tracking time with spreadsheets or on the back of napkins or whatever else you're using and start getting the insights into how your team is actually spending their time that only screenshots and in-depth reports can give you. Our best clients are agency owners, and while they love the accountability that comes with it, it's sort of like Upwork but without all the crazy fees. Where they really find the true value is by being able to connect Hubstaff with a project management tool to see what tasks are taking up their team's time. Think of it as Google Analytics for your team. I do want to warn you, though, there's a good chance once you see this data, you're going to be sick when you realize how little time is spent actually delivering the project itself. But you can't set up the procedures to make your agency more efficient if you're just guessing where time is being spent. So give Hubstaff a try so you can stop guessing and start streamlining your agency. Head over to hubstaff.com today and sign up for a free, no credit card required, 14-day trial and get your agency back on track. All right, now back over to Matt. How, what do you, when you say like you, because there's like thousands of different strategies with LinkedIn. So like, what uh-huh. what is your general approach there? Like, is it just like messaging people or? Yeah, okay. So no, we haven't done any of that. So there's a, a few things we've done on LinkedIn. I, basically, you can join 50 groups per LinkedIn account. So we have five LinkedIn accounts and we have, we built a tool where um, if I write an article, we can share the article across all those 250 groups with one click, which is pretty cool. And, um, or four clicks because we have to do it by account. Um, and that's one thing that's, that's pretty cool. I'm also, um, contacted a, like I went to the biggest groups on LinkedIn and I just contacted all of their managers saying, Hey, do you need help managing your group? And one of them said yes. And so I got made manager of like a 65,000 person group and he, this guy, this guy doesn't participate. So we just pin our, our own content the entire time. And that's cool. Um, so if anyone would want to consider that in different niches, I think it's a good idea. So um, it's been a way for you to like, it's amplified kind of your, your inbound marketing stuff. It's, it's helped yeah. get your content out there. Yeah, dude, like, um, that, that one thing I just told you about, that, that, that LinkedIn group generates like 150 email signups for us a week. Wow. That's, in, that's insane. Um, so that's pretty cool. And and the other one as well is um, I noticed on LinkedIn if if someone else publishes a pulse right like these blog post things you get a notification so I was like oh great so uh, what we've been doing is we've just been republishing our own blog content just repurposing it and putting it on LinkedIn so each time um, we post someone gets a notification hmm. so yeah that's interesting so those are the main and also I've added so because of that notification I've added like thousands and thousands of people you know and we also. We also um, there's limits in terms of LinkedIn. So you can't just go cr- too crazy doing that, but you can go pretty crazy. And um, and also another thing we do is we automatically import our email list onto into LinkedIn every 30 days, and I automatically add all of those people as well. I see. Okay. So at the hmm. moment, I've got like 3,700 connections wow. on LinkedIn, which is pretty cool. Yeah. But um, but yeah, we're going to be doing more and more of that. So that's the main stuff for that for for inbound LinkedIn, and then we've been doing like a bit of SEO. Um, although LinkedIn is our number one source of traffic, and then we've also got um, referrals as well. Referrals probably make up fifty percent of okay. our sales. And wait, so to go back to LinkedIn a bit, because that's that's something I hadn't really heard many anyone talk about. Like, is there anything you're doing to reach out once they are your connection, or is it just sort of another touch so they get to be familiar with you? Yeah, so we we haven't been doing any reach out, and it's just one. The only reason is because it's something on someone's to do list. So I've I've, t- I've, t- I've, t- I've tested it a couple of times actually, one or two things, and the things I've tested haven't 
really worked, but at the same time, I haven't really tested them maybe to the level I should have anyway. Um, but what we're going to be doing probably is going to be reaching and creating a special gift and just reaching out to people saying, hey, I know that on LinkedIn, the only reason someone writes you a message is because they want something from you, but I'm actually changed that. I've decided to write you a message and give you something. And whatever that thing is, we're just going to give it to them. That's and, right, yeah. Uh, and yeah, and that will be that, like Matt Tourism Tiger, bang. Because that was know. the thing I was thinking is like whenever I someone just like messages me on LinkedIn, it's almost like ninety percent of the time it's they're trying to like sell me something very like overtly. And so, br- kind of breaking that model, that like mental mindset is I can see how that could work. Yes, yeah, so that's something to test. But then once they get, you said you're adding from that one group 150 emails to your list every week. What do you then do with those emails? Yeah, so this is the thing we're literally working on right now because our funnel, uh, email funnel thing has been completely screwed up. You know, we have like one email in our autoresponder as a, well, that's changed as of six days ago, but you know, up until you know a week ago, we had one email in our autoresponder and basically we just kept in touch by people by sending out emails with updates and our blog posts, but honestly, it wasn't really working. You know, we're getting a lot of signups and, uh, you know, um, not as much action as I was like, you know, so... Um, so we've created a funnel and an autoresponder and we signed up to active campaign. Uh, well, we've been on active campaign the whole time, but we've actually set up, you know, autoresponders and automations and all that kind of stuff in active campaign based on all the advice we've read around the internet about how to write a good autoresponder. So that's going to be pretty exciting. So that's where we're at right now. We're still, we're still trying to figure this out. Yeah. Cause that's the thing is like, a, it's something where you see the potential clearly there because like the list is growing. But yeah, you haven't been able to drive the the results that you want, and like honestly, a lot of people you talked about, like Brendan Dunn has a ton of great stuff on that, and it's like once you have like that's how I approach like building funnels as well. It's like all right, like figure out a piece at a time. Like you have the traffic part of it, the top of the funnel working, and you know there are other people that like. So at that point, that's almost like the question mark is like, can you get this to generate traffic or leads or whatever? And then after that. It might take you time to figure out how to actually get the autoresponder to truly convert those leads into into customers, but you know it's possible, and it's, at that point, it's more just a matter of testing. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to be doing this funnel thing, and once we've sort of got it figured out somewhat, because um, yeah, we the website is pretty weak as well when it comes to that stuff. Once we've got it much more figured out, then we're going to be doing um, paid Facebook campaigns and stuff okay. like that. Yeah, so have you experimented like webinars or anything? So you said you were on a webinar a bit ago. Yeah, um, we we have actually. So it's kind of been interesting doing webinars for other people's audiences was has been great for us. So we um we sold seven websites in December from webinars. Oh wow! How, so what was your process like? We just yeah, well basically we just built uh, in terms of the actual webinar or, or what like getting to the other people's audience. Kind of both. We'll, we'll start with getting onto their audience, and then and then yeah. like we'll get into the actual webinar. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, um, from day one with Tourism Tiger, I've been trying to build relationships with people in the industry, and um, so yeah. So December, we kind of leveraged a couple of those relationships in a way, and just said, "Hey, can we do a webinar for your audience?" And they're like, "Yeah, sure." And um, so I did two, and just presented, just dropped a whole bunch of knowledge, and in a really excited way, a lot of people reached out. And a lot of them signed up. So that was really cool. So in terms of the actual webinar, it was just super simple. Um, I just, yeah, like I said, just dropped a lot of knowledge and I just did a very short sale on at the end. Then we'll, then we started doing webinars to our own audience and that hasn't worked out so well. And so that's kind of, so it's really weird, you know. Um, so we're still trying to figure this. It's, 
this all out. So, so we did these webinars, we crushed it with other people's audiences, then tried our own audience, and we've fallen flat twice now. Were they the and, same webinars? Uh, yeah, well, really similar content, right? right? Just like lots of value, all that kind of stuff. And it's weird, like the the ones on our webinar is just kind of like, oh, great, thanks, webinar, great webinar, Matt, thanks. <laughs> It was weird, you know, when we did our own webinar, I thought it was going to convert at the same rate that the other webinars had. Because we, we haven't, we're not talking about a huge amount of int- attendees here. Like, um, for one of these other guys we did a webinar for, we had 26 people show up, mm-hmm. and I sold three websites. Yeah, that's, and that, that's the other thing. It's like with, when you get into price points where, like, you don't need, because for, like, some of the SaaS companies or anything, you charge, like, a couple bucks a month or, or even a year. It's like, yeah, these, you need thousands and thousands of people attending or just at all points of your funnel. But for selling, like, when you're solving someone's real business problem, a small audience like that, if you're getting three people signed up, like, that makes a huge difference. Like, that really can help grow your business. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, it's just, it's, it's funny, man, that, like, uh, I'm just a guy, if, if you know what I mean. And sometimes you get these gurus come on, they figure it all out. But for us, yeah, I'm just a dude and I'm, I'm still figuring this stuff out. And um, it's crazy. You do one webinar, it crushes it. You're like, bam, I'm just going to become like a webinar millionaire. You know, I'm just going <laughs> to, exactly. I'm going to write a book about webinars. And then, and, well, maybe not, but you know what I mean. And yeah. then, and then, you know, you do it to your own audience and people show up and then it just falls flat. You're like, oh. Then you do another one, it falls flat again. You're like, oh. <laughs> There's something that I'm I'm still not getting here, you know. Do you think you're going to keep testing that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because um, I just feel like audio and video is a really really great way to um, grow trust immediately. So what we're going to probably do is just make yeah, like someone visits our homepage, the first thing they're going to get pushed into will probably be a funnel. Um, I think part of the reason why it's our easiest audience hasn't worked as well maybe is because they all know who we are and they're kind of established. Well, but my thought this has been good. Sorry. Yeah, because my my thought at first was that like. If they're already on your list, they've been getting their content for a while. Like they just see, they could just see this as like, oh, Matt just giving me more content. Like thanks, Matt. Like because you haven't necessarily asked for the sale aggressively before or anything, so you've almost trained them to be like, oh, he's sending me content. I'll read it. Awesome, thanks, and just move on. It's like it's yeah, almost exactly. like you might need to kind of break that mindset and have a stronger call to action, like have a stronger kind of pitch. But I could. I'm just kind of thinking off top yeah. of my head. You know, once you once you run into a product, you might not decide it's not for you, and these guys might be like, "Oh, they, they might have just decided that I'm not for them or whatever." It's, I mean, I'm probably going to have to do a, a survey to my email list or something like that to figure it out. Right. It's kind of like it's also hard to measure our own success um, on webinars if if um, obviously it seems to be that existing audiences convert at a different rate to cold audiences, where the cold audiences is just you know maybe 50 people have never heard of you before. And so it's like a new concept for them, right? So, um, so yeah, it's pretty pretty fascinating. But once we kind of got it down slightly more, we're going to be yeah doing Facebook paid marketing, all that kind of stuff, and it's going to be fun. Yeah, because that was something that like I know with Brennan and the like the last year, he really kind of ramped up everything he was doing with his funnel and paid advertising really started to work. Because once he knew like okay, if this is what an email subscriber is worth, like once he had the funnel in place and knew what a email subscriber was worth, he could then start spending on the paid ads and know that it would have a positive ROI. Yeah, exactly. Imagine, imagine if you're selling, say, let's just say you do slightly higher-end consulting and you do it for a specific kind of, like, let's say you're a Drupal, like, you do um, Drupal, right? You're, like, you do Drupal consulting for a specific type of Drupal site or whatever. You know, and let's say the average client's worth $6,000, um, 
you do a webinar, you, you do three webinars with 300 attendees and you get one sale, you know, that's, that's, that's like a pretty bad result in terms of, in, in terms of numbers, but at the same time, it's 6,000 bucks. So um, if that's a worst case scenario, that's a pretty good worst case scenario, right. you know? And then you can only improve from there and get those numbers up to a point where it, it makes a real difference. Exactly. Yeah, but uh, yeah, because I know one thing that Brennan does is he has um, his funnel basically goes like you sign up for his um, email course, which is like I charge what you're worth, I think is what it's called, and then from there he'll pitch his uh, book, W Freelancing Rate. If they don't convert and buy the book, he'll then follow up with an offer for like a webinar, and so like he'll go with like a higher touch approach if they don't buy after the low touch thing. So like you can get super complex with that, but it's like the the model still works and it's like once you start experimenting with it, you can see some really cool results. Yeah, dude, I've got to, um, I've got to, once we've kind of got a couple of these, uh, things, uh, done in terms of what we're doing right now, like this pitch kind of stuff that I was just talking about. Yeah, for sure. I'm, uh, Brennan is going to be my, my next, my next stop really. Oh, um, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. For the, just this funnel stuff is just fascinating. The way I see it is like you're almost tourism tiger is almost sort of like, a case study of like what happens when you expose one person to great insights from like a hundred different people and like seeing like slowly work through it and like getting results. But, but so I was going to ask you like how, what advice did you give to other people who like could be listening to this podcast or listening to yours, like of kind of parsing through the information, but you, we covered it a bit. And I think you just said it too, is like focusing. It seems like focusing on one thing at a time and really trying to get it down. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, another thing that I think people will kind of miss, and it's kind of almost a segue into the other thing we're going to talk about, actually, is um, is that you, people take it on themselves too much. So basically, I have weeks where I just can't be bothered doing stuff, or or not bothered, but you know, I talked about it before, and that was that I'm listless. You know, I have, I have periods of three weeks where I'm like crushing it, and I'm killing it. I have other periods where I'm just you know like I'm bogged down with a whole bunch of administ administrivia. You know, so I've had like you know, like accounting and legal and stuff like that. I've had weeks where my week's been dominated just by stuff. And the fact that I have other people working on advancing my projects, um, even when I'm not able to, has been such a liberation. So, um, you know, we've got this marketing girl, like a marketing manager here who's working with us, who's, you know, setting up a lot of that funnel stuff that I was just telling you about. I'm not even, I'm just kind of monitoring the process and reading the occasional article and passing her a link. She's actually doing nearly all of it. Meanwhile, I work on the pitch, you know, and that's really cool. And and other stuff as well, like so. And this is where I, why I'm saying that we're going to the other topic, which is job rack, is um like you know, we have we have three full time assistants in our company, um, three full time and one part time assistant in Eastern Europe. So we've got uh, two full timers in Serbia, uh, one part timer in Serbia, and we've got one full timer in Kosovo. And these guys just do complete most of the work. So if you run a business as an agency, you might feel like a lot of the steps are custom, but it's not actually true. A lot of the stuff, such as generating proposals or um, like the initial client setup, just collecting all the information, making sure the login details work for everything, doing the launch process of pointing, like setting up their Google apps and or pointing their, their DNS, for example, all of that stuff can just be done by someone who's just following a list of instructions. You know, so I think... Um, 
the fact that like all our websites just get built. Like we have, we have one project manager who sits on top of these three website builders who 90% of the time they're just following instructions because we take images, we compress them, we upload them. You don't need to be an expert to do that. And I think most web designers just get – and most agencies, doesn't matter what you do, like just get caught up in a lot of the minutiae, minutia, what have you, have you pronounced that thing, of um, of the – of the day to day and of the, of the project, where all I could do is just write a whole bunch of processes or you know, write some instructions, and um, and yeah, so I think a lot of people have tried outsourcing and they've failed, right? They go off to Upwork and they hire some Indian, right? And then it fails for them for whatever reason. Uh, often it's because you know um, India has a different business culture to. Um, to the West, so often there's like cultural differences there, and um, and the other fact as well with the problem with India is obviously you know there's a whole bunch of big IT companies and they've taken all the good talent anyway, um, and and so a lot of people fail on the first step, but I think there's huge potential there, and I think, um, you know that you just follow this stereotypical path of going through India and Philippines. I think that's why a big a big reason why people make make these mistakes. You know, I've I've hired I've hired over 140 people online in the last six years, right? And I've learned a lot of stuff. And one of the things I've learned, and this is pretty interesting, Andy, because most people who I've talked to have a lot of experience doing this have gone through the exact same curve, right? So to start with India, then then go to the Philippines, and then end up at Eastern Europe and not budge, right? So that's a, that's a typical curve people go on. Do you think it depends and, on the role that yeah, you're hiring for? Yeah, well, well I think the, the role you're hiring for would def- – well, would depend on the pay rate and stuff like that, but like, um, like I'm not sure people are aware of this, but like employees in Serbia, the same, the same like cost exactly the same amount as they cost in the Philippines, except in my experience. And I'll tell you how I stumbled upon this. So I had this project a few years ago, one of these you know, advertising-driven websites that I told you about, and um, we hired. We were putting a lot of content really quickly, and I hired five people, right, um, at two dollars fifty an hour, right. So not exactly like ball of money. But, you know, if they're bidding at these rates, these guys were happy with it. So um, I hired five people, three Filipinos and two Serbians. And, you know, I went through the similar process that you always do if you're working with the Philippines, which is you write the most detailed process in the history of mankind. Like you, um, you, you, you make screenshots of Twitter with, the, you know, with an arrow pointing at the login button. This is how you log in and all that kind of stuff. But um, what I found very quickly was that the, the Serbians on my team were really well educated. And I was just, and I, and, I, and they just, they just got it really fast. And they culturally, they just seemed to understand my instructions. They didn't just understand the words like "this is what I need to do next." They, they were able to understand why I was asking for that thing to be done, right? So not perfect, but a lot better. Um, and so within literally within seven days, uh, the two Serbians were managing the three Filipinos, and that got me kind of interested. I, w- I started to do some investigations, like why why were these Serbians wanting to work for these kind of rates? And it turns out, you know, Serbia has this economic situation where they have extremely high uh, youth unemployment rates, and but uh, youth being under thirty years old, and um, their economy sucks, and all this kind of stuff, and. No one can get jobs there. And so you've got Belgrade, which is kind of doing a bit better. But the rest of Serbia, um, like a teacher is making 200 euros a month. Wow. Or $200 a month, um, depending on the city and stuff like that. Right. But, um, and you'd be lucky to get yeah. that job. Yeah, exactly. So one guy, for example, that's full-time with us, he was making $300 a month on his last job. Right. And now at a junior level um, project assistant position, he's making $500 a month, which is obviously extremely economical for me. But um, it's also extremely economical for him because he's just raised his pay by 66%. Uh, 
Um, so that's pretty cool. And obviously, you know what happens is over time, we give people bonuses, we raise their pay rates and all that kind of stuff, um, just, just so they can get a nice, good long-term living. But um, but it was, you know, but you know, it was crazy because there's onlinejobs.ph, which you pre- you probably do know, but I couldn't find a version of this for for Eastern Europe. I couldn't believe it. I was like, surely other people know about this. And you know, I went to talk to people and like, yeah, I'm mean, so frustrated by this. Like so many people. And I was just like, oh, shit, there's an opportunity here. So, um, so it's like, a, it's a new side project and it's replacing my web, my podcast as a, a new side project. And, and yeah, it's launching tomorrow, jobrack.eu. And it's just going to be, it's going to be super simple. It's just a job board for Eastern Europeans. And just so listeners know, once this goes live, the job rack will also be live. So. Yeah, jobrack.eu. We're doing some specials and stuff for the first two weeks, and I don't want it to be overly self-promoy or whatever. But like, but you know, if you're interested in hiring people online, I definitely would say Eastern Europe is your, you, you. You want to skip all the pain, go straight to Eastern Europe, and uh, yeah, try it out. Well, no, because I mean, I haven't hired anywhere near how many people you have, but probably a dozen in, in my kind of online entrepreneurial life. And it's funny because in the beginning, I feel like. You, you can blame the person hiring. They'll, they'll be like, I have this idea. I want someone to build it. I'll write like a paragraph and just expect like the world to, to come out of it. And, like that doesn't work. And that, that's like, that was my fault. And like, I slowly would learn and learn. And no, like it got to the point where like the most recent stuff I've done is exactly what you said. I'd record a video of me doing the process, have a Google doc with screenshots, with arrows, with all of that, and just be like as absolutely detailed as possible. Like it worked. I, that, like, I was able to get results with that, but it's kind it is kind of annoying. And like my cousin actually just emailed me a couple of weeks ago and was asking for help to basically kind of data collection research type stuff to outsource that. And I was like, yeah, like it's not a big enough project for me to want to manage it for him. But like, if I just tell him to do it himself, like I know there's 0% chance he's going to get a good result because he won't know how to explain it in a way that will get those results. But so I, I, I do know the pain point that you're talking about. And yeah, so it's, it's a real thing like that. Definitely that, that exists. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So basically what you'd find if you're hiring people from Eastern Europe, you're going to find is that you still have to do some of this. You just don't have, you just don't have to do as much of it. And you know, the cool thing is we've, we've got this guy from, so, like the, our guy who's, um, I, you know, I, I practice what I preach. I hired a full-time virtual assistant to launch JobRack, right? And um, this guy's from Bosnia. He used to work for the U.S. military in Baghdad. Really? Right? Because get this, turns out that the, some U.S. military contractors had the same realization as us. They've, um, they set up this hiring camp thing in Bosnia and hired literally thousands of these guys, maybe not thousands, hundreds at least. And they've taken these guys and they've t- paid them great wages for their circumstance, taken them to Baghdad. And these guys were working hand in hand with American servicemen um, to do like logistics stuff, to do project management, all that kind of stuff. And he said that pretty much on a daily basis, he had like mortars being fired into his base. And um, it was pretty cool. So he was like some sort of logistics manager, and now he's back in Serbia and he's working for me for 500 bucks a month. Right, and, and, and not yeah. having to deal with mortars anymore. Yeah, it's really cool. And, and he, he's kind of excited. And, um, and the coolest thing as well, and, and you know, what happens is you, 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 still, you still get a range. You still make fi- failed hires and stuff. And over, over time, you just, you just develop the experience to recognize that you need to get a detailed application. You need to, if someone just puts two words in an application, they're not going to be a good employee, that kind of stuff, right? So um, the, the more the people actually properly follow the instructions of an application, just as a bit of a hint, the more – actually, I'm going to get on that in two seconds because that's a really important topic. For JobRack, is it going to be 
a play is it a marketplace or what what sort of is it well it's basically it's going to be it's going to be fairly pure job born model so it's going to be very 99.99 so what happens is you just pay to list a job and then you can invite 99.99 is exaggerating you basically you, you pay for a job you advertise a job then you can then you can go invite people with the right profile to apply and then they apply and then you message back and forth and then um, you go use hubstaff to manage your payments right and and also your your time tracking and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of like you know, Upwork is kind of it's kind of nice and it's great to start out with, but in the end you do pay a lot of money for what you get. And um, you know, Hubstaff is just as good and costs way less. So um, no, so, and yeah. that's that's a good because that's the thing is like whenever I would start out with these types of projects is you'd go to I liked Elance better than Upwork, but now they're the same thing. But so it's like on Upwork you'd start out. And I mean, it's good for what it is. Like, if you just need a one-off project, you don't want to have to like sort through all these things and kind of you're fine with using the platform, paying the convenience fee. But like, when you're running a business on top of Upwork, you have one, you have to deal with a lot of kind of low-quality applicants. But two, like, you're paying ten percent of your projects every single month, and that really adds up. And so that's kind of where we came in and said, like, all right, there there is a better way for people who are doing this more regularly. And you have a remote team that they're managing. It's like Upwork just doesn't make as much sense for that. Yeah, exactly. But but so, so uh, to, for yeah. you to, I, I do want to talk about like how, because like you said, it's not as though Eastern Europe is, is there might be cultural reasons, there might be whatever that that you're able to have an easier time finding someone to do the job you want them to do. But it's still not just as simple as like you said, posting a sentence saying what you, what you want. So how can someone? No matter what platform they're using, how can they ensure they'll get better results when they outsource? Yeah, absolutely. So um, even though Upwork is technically a competitor of ours as of tomorrow, I'll give some tips about that too. So um, basically, um, the key, the first key is to write an extremely detailed job description, right? So the job description should not be four lines like, hey, we need someone to help with WordPress content, blah, 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 blah. No, you should actually be selling people in the position because the best candidates are choosy. You know, they they want to be, they want to look for the right opportunity because maybe they've been burned by a previous employer, as our guy, as is the case with our guy in Bosnia. He had a, a job for eight months and he 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 did a great job, but the, the employer was really abusive, and so he was like, "I'm not going to do that again." Right? So that just gives you an idea. So you basically you start out, you you need to realize that it's just like writing copy. You need to sell people on the position. So. First, we sell people on the company, like we're this growing company, we're a great team, we already have multiple people from Eastern Europe, all that kind of stuff. Um, the first thing actually we do is we put a filter at the very, very top. So the job ad title and Upwork, we, it literally says Eastern Europe only, right? So, and and you know, 50% of the applicants just ignore that and apply anyway. But, um, but at least it cuts down a lot of the crap that comes through. So a lot of the automated stuff uh, or a lot of the semi-automated stuff that, that might come through from, say, like India. And so that's the first step is you have that job title. Um, Eastern European – and also it kind of calls the attention of everyone in Eastern Europe. Holy crap, this guy's specifically looking for someone like me because these guys, they have a pain point themselves, which is they feel like they're constantly getting must jobs by 50 applications from other parts of the world um, or 100 applications. So these guys are like, okay, this guy's looking for someone like me. I have a better chance. Great. So it's worth me investing my time in readiness and applying properly. 
then, you know, they come to my job post where I'm like, you know, I'm an experienced employer. I've hired, you know, hundreds, hundred and something people on Upwork and I've got 100% five-star reviews and this is the way we work. We don't contact you in your free time and demand you come back to work. We don't do this. We don't do that. We don't do this. And people are like, oh, that's cool. These guys actually know how to respect me and all that kind of stuff. And then we talk about the position. So what we're going to have is this position and and here are some of the drawbacks and here are some of the positives. And um, this is what it entails. And then uh, we have a we put a couple of Easter eggs, right? So it's a really really common thing on Upwork for someone to say, "I want you to use the keyword, say like macaroni in your job application." Yeah. And the thing is, a lot of people are ready for this. People right, are so they know to kind of find that one thing. Yeah. Yeah, they just go find the keyword and then copy and paste the application. <laughs> Right, which is silly, and um, so basically, as an employee, you got to realize you're not the only person thinking about this stuff or having these thoughts. And so, so what I do, I do that. I put that keyword thing as like a trap. So all those automatons, they just find that keyword and apply, and they keep on moving. They don't realize that I've actually put another requirement in that job ad, less obvious, right? So what I often do, uh, I mentioned it halfway through, like you're going to need a fast internet connection. So if you can please, in this application, I take a screenshot from you know speedtest.net. Of your of your um your internet connection, you know, and if and if they don't include that screenshot, I, I mean, need to take a screenshot and include your application, sorry, and like if they don't include that screenshot, I do not revise the application. So no matter how amazing someone looks, if they do not follow the two or three little like little mini bombs you've left in the in the uh, in the job ad, do not touch them. Doesn't matter how good they seem, right? And this is not just something for Upwork. I use it. In all cases, I, I say, for example, um, I put up a writing job, for example, on ProBlogger job board, and I said, you need to use this keyword in the, in the, in, in the, uh, in the subject, otherwise you won't be considered, and you know, most people missed it. Right? Maybe half the people missed it. And, um, and yeah, so so I, actually, I actually just had Marcus Blankenship on the show, and he kind of went over a lot of like hiring tips for if you want to hire a local developer full-time. And I mean, there are different types of tests, especially for like a local job, but it's the same type of thing. You want to make sure this is when you're offering someone a job, like that's someone that people should take that very seriously. And so like if they can't even take the time to like fully read something when you're offering them a ton of like a chance to get a lot of money, then that's like a pretty big red flag. Exactly. So these guys are going to come in and make however much money off you, right? So if it's Serbia or whatever, you might be hiring a developer for $1,500 a month. Um, or it could be in the States. You're hiring someone for $15,000 a month. Um, you want to make sure that this person actually is excited to, to, for the opportunity and they read through the entire post and they were really nervous when they sent off their application. Not like, oh, this is like the 15th job ad they've, right, they've applied right. to today, you know. This is more just out of my curiosity. Like, how are you going to kind of promote job rack? Like, are you going to take like a a content approach? Are you going to write about these types of things, or what? Like, what's going to be your approach for that? Uh huh. So, so there's a few things we're going to do. Um, the first one is we have to get applicants onto the platform, right? Because it's a two sided marketplace. So that's that's gone pretty good. So we've um we've joined like 350 groups on Facebook um, with a few different accounts about um that are about like looking for jobs in say. Europe, in Poland and stuff like this. Like, so, like, you know, like, we found a group that's, um, there's a city in Ukraine called Lvov, um, spelt Lviv. And there's, like, it's called, like, IT Lviv or something, IT Jobs Lviv or something. And that's got, like, 8,000 members. So, so we've been doing a bit of advertising on that and we've got, we've got hundreds of, um, 
uh, registered developers already, which is pretty cool. Um, we did a bit of work on LinkedIn as well. We've connected with many, many people. And so what's going to happen initially is we get people posting up job ads for a profile we haven't had before. We're just going to go add all these guys on LinkedIn and contact them and say, hey, check this out. There's this job ad and hopefully use that to sort of grow the platform. So there's that side. I suspect I suspect that this is naturally going to help us get some employers to notice it because they, they'll see the job ads floating around and um, stuff like this. But we're also going to be, um, you know, just con- trying LinkedIn, you know, trying to see what happens if we try to get in touch or at least connect with um, recruiters. Going to be doing some content, so podcast interviews, um, I've probably podcasted about it a couple of times myself uh, to do some blogging. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, we're just going to have to find – we're going to be doing Twitter stuff potentially in terms of finding um, recruiters who are advertising jobs in Eastern Europe, like on like developer jobs in Eastern Europe and say, hey, dude, why didn't you check out JobRack? And they'll be like, what? I've never even heard of you guys. And then, well, you know, check it out. Yeah. Um, no, so it's, it's kind yeah. of trying a bunch of different things so you can see what works. Is it, you're right. It is still early and – the two-sided marketplace has – it has some – obviously a lot of downsides because you have to work on both sides. But I, I do see how both sides can help each other once you get some traction with one or the other. Yeah. Can, uh, come yeah. Along. Exactly. And you know, I've got a pretty strong like, network as well. So I've, I've already got you know maybe 20 or 30 people lined up already to, to buy job ads for tomorrow, uh, which is pretty cool because um, – because, yeah, like I said, like I know a lot of people who do similar stuff to me and a lot of the people who have been on exactly the same journey, you know. And um, and so that's going to be – that's cool. So, so it's, we've already got the traction on both sides really in terms of hundreds of registered people and it's been pretty easy to get people to sign up, like developers and stuff. And the other side, getting the money is obviously um, going to be tough if you don't know anyone. But luckily, you know, you, you, know, you, you know, it's like Andy, you spend enough time online doing stuff and you end up building a few connections. And so that's what we're going to start out with, and then hopefully, who knows, make some noise. Maybe, maybe you do like a list of fifty-six growth hacks. <laughs> I'm not going to do that, by the way. That's, that, that's been that's been done, but uh, we'll see. No, that that is funny because it seems like all the like when people are like, oh, I'm going to do some content marketing. It's just like they're going to publish the same article that a dozen other people have already published in the last week. Going forward, how do you see balancing job rack with Tourism Tiger and, and then when you expand into hotels and all? It seems like there's a lot going on. So what is kind of – how are you balancing all yeah. that? Yeah, so that's really tough. That's going to be really tough. So basically with job rack, our hope is um, is basically if it goes well enough, we're going to be hiring, say, a full-time content marketer. Um, but at the moment, like the key is really going to be this full-time guy in Bosnia. He's he's taking a lot of the, 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 the load. We have a developer as well who's working part-time. Um, and so basically, I'm just probably going to block out maybe two hours once a week um, to meet with this guy in Bosnia and maybe one hour a week to meet with – got a, a partner on this one. And most of my time is just going to go into Tourism Tiger. So basically, I've got the partner and me, we've, we've, we've agreed that we're going to just, like I said, practice what we preach. We're going to be – so the developers from the Ukraine and uh, he's doing an amazing job. Um, he's working for $7 an hour, which is ridiculous, right? Um, but – but he's, you know, he's getting experience and really he's happy for it. And, um, and so he, the developer's working on it from Ukraine. We've got this guy from Bosnia who, who's working on it. And basically as we grow, my hope is to hire, like, to basically to do systematic stuff and probably maybe blog once or twice a week. Because, yeah, the focus will be Tourism Tiger. So. Yeah, and, and I mean this goes back to a lot of why it's important to look into. It's sort of why we got on this topic. And have you read uh, 8020 Sales and Marketing by Perry Marshall? 
haven't yet. It's one of the most recommended books, though, isn't it? Yeah, it it, it really is. And it's like when I read it, I read it when it first came out because I had read some of like AdWords stuff. And but this book was like it's really awesome. And it's, it talks about what you said too. It's like not every task that you do in the day in your agency and whatever business you have has the same value to it. Like setting up the DNS settings, setting up, uploading these images, those have basically like a near zero dollar value. Whereas doing your sales calls probably have like hundreds and hundreds of dollars an hour value to them, if not more, especially depending on the size of projects you're dealing with. But it's like, if you can find ways to have other people handle those lower value tasks, that lets you have more time for the high value things, which really can like, not exponentially, but can significantly increase the growth you have because you're able to focus all your time on the things that actually matter. And it seems like that's what you've done pretty well is by hiring and outsourcing two VAs, two project managers at lower costs than you could get locally, but whatever. It's just getting people to help you is what's let you handle all these different things. Yeah, exactly. I guess if they do want to also follow what you're doing with Horizon Tiger, where should they yeah. just check out the blog there? Yeah, just go to tourismtiger.com. Um, check out the Web podcast, obviously, like I've said and also implied. Uh, we're not doing that anymore, but um, it's got 100, well, 99, yeah, 99 published episodes to, 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 to listen through. We've got you know, Brennan Dunn, Brent Weaver, all those guys, and a whole bunch more, so it's pretty cool. No, and that's definitely what I'm, I would emphasize to the listeners is like just digging through the archives of the web agency podcast has been awesome for me. Um, I've done it when I've researched different guests and just when I've just been curious about things too, because he interviews people from all over the place and all types of agencies. The show notes are good, but the episodes really have a ton of content in there. So I'd really recommend people check that out. Yeah, the show notes blow. <laughs> so like after about 20 episodes, I was just like, oh, I can't be bothered. And so, um, and also at the same time, I didn't want to, I wanted people to listen, you know, not to prejudge the show from the notes. So I just leave like a, a couple links and stuff like that. No, and that's what I've been yeah. like balancing because I've been trying to have like super thorough show notes because I almost wanted to, this is our first like venture into something other than blogging. And so I've wanted to almost stand on its own as like a valuable blog post, but I know what you're saying, like they're a pain in the ass to do. And you do, you, you're never going to have as much information to show us as you do in the actual episode yourself. So you want people to listen, but there really is a ton of value that people can get from listening to all of the episodes. So I'd say if people have questions, dig through there, find something good. I'm sure I'll link up a bunch of the ones we've mentioned in the show notes for yeah. the listeners here. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. No. So Matt, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. I appreciated being here. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> yeah. And I'll talk to you later. All right. <laughs> Cheers. All right. See ya. I was really curious to hear how Matt handled getting so much advice because it's something that I struggle with myself and I'm not even building an agency. But when you interview a hundred agency experts, there's no way you can implement everything they suggest, even if you wanted to. Matt's approach was pretty simple, but also really smart and also really hard to actually be disciplined enough to implement. Instead of binging on dozens and dozens of experts and assuming you have the expertise, or as Matt calls it, the arrogance, to pick and choose bits and pieces... You should focus on fully implementing one system and only then look to see how you can adapt it to your business. Beyond the framework, Matt also shared some great insights into using LinkedIn to grow your list, selling with webinars, and how to outsource effectively. And I can't properly sum it up right here. So definitely check out the show notes over on the Hubstaff blog to make sure you don't miss anything. If the podcast has helped shape your agency, I'd love it if you could head over to iTunes to leave a review for the show and tell me how we've helped. 
these reviews help get the show out there and i also love hearing how listeners are doing so please take a minute to do that i'd really appreciate it that's all for this week next week i'll be back with bram warshofsky of five crowd and you'll hear why the traditional madman style agency is a dying breed and how your agency can position itself to take advantage of this change talk to you then see ya